0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting Bluehost.com. That's Bluehost.com.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Here we feature mostly cop and detective shows, plus adventure, plus surprise. You never know, but it's the best from the golden age of radio. We'll guarantee that. For those of you who want nonstop crime buster and detective shows, you can now add 1,001 Radio Crime Solvers to your podcast library. That's 1,001 Radio Crime Solvers. Brand new for 2023 and growing fast. Enjoy!
2: From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Dr. Colby
3: calling back, Johnny. Oh, yeah, Frank. How am I? Oh, you've fallen behind. Boosters for diphtheria and smallpox, typhoid, cholera. And if we can find room, I will bring you up to date on your tetanus. Oh. Well, where do I get them?
2: I have it all right here in the office, or I can stop by on the way home.
3: Well, that's not what I mean, Frank. It takes a long time to get to Haiti, and those plane seats aren't very comfortable
2: at best. Edmund O'Brien. In another transcribed adventure of the man with the action packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: Expense account submitted by special investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office America Federated Life Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Attention, Harvard Huntington, general manager. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my assignment in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Expense account item one, $15 for a pair of tickets to Detective Story at the Hudson Theatre in New York, which I never got a chance to use since I was seated in the library of your Hartford home promptly at curtain time.
4: Dollar, I want to thank you for coming out here. Sorry to break into an evening like this, but since I have, I'll get right to the point. Uh, Perhaps
3: you've heard of the Gordon family here in Hartford. Well, what I see of the society page is while I'm flipping back to the sports section. But I've noticed the name. Diamond studded, aren't they? Immensely wealthy. Pillars of
4: society. And, surprisingly, quite a proper family. Uh, That is all but one of the sons, Ralph. Heavy drinker. Complete wastrel. 'er Ne'er-do-well.
3: Oh, a blot on the old escutcheon.
4: Yes, continually getting into one scrape or another...
3: Now he's done it again. I take it that you're not worried about Ralph the man, but about Ralph the policyholder,
4: huh? Well, to put it bluntly, yes. I don't think it's unethical for a company to protect its interests. In this case, the policy is in the amount of $150,000.
3: Quite a piece of paper.
4: Yes. And to be quite candid, I rue the day it was issued. But the point is this. Ralph Gordon, at last report, is dying. Aboard his yacht at Port-au-Prince, Haiti.
3: Then you don't need me. You need the Mayo Clinic.
4: Uh, Dollar, I hesitate to even mention this in the presence of a sane man. But from everything we can learn, young Gordon is not dying from any known malady. He's dying as a result... Oh, it's pure nonsense. He's supposed to be dying as the result of voodoo curse. Now, anybody with any sense... All right, all right, wait a minute.
3: Where'd you get your information?
4: Uh, From his older brother, Thomas. He's a doctor... He's down there in Haiti with Ralph. Now, I want you to go down and debunk this thing, Dollar. Find out what's wrong. Why, any sane man knows there's no
3: such... voodoo. You don't believe in it, do you? No. No, not unless I see it working. Expense <laughs> account item two. $148.70, Hartford to Porto prince via aeroplane. Expense account item three, $32.50, tropical clothes. And item four, $25 spent while I browsed the waterfront bars in Port-au-Prince, looking for somebody who knew where the Gordon Yacht was moored. When I found him, he not only knew that, he knew everything.
5: Hey, yeah, don't matter what, what you want to know about this blasted island, ask me first. My name is Cap Regan, and I've been here since before repeal. Give up my citizenship, I did, with the help of a couple of Prohibition agents. <laughs> and I figure on sailing out my final days right here. Yeah, what do you want with the Gordon craft?
3: I want to see the owner, Ralph Gordon. How do
5: I get to it? I reckon you pay me to row you out to her. My dinghy's down to the foot of the pier, just a short ale from where we're at. Well, good, come on, let's shove off. Just light down my ration here. <sighs> yeah, that'll... Put me in ship shape. Yeah, what would you say you wanted with that schooner? Yeah, figuring on buying?
3: Oh, thank you for the compliment. If I bought a boat today, it'd have to be a surplus life raft. I told you, I want to talk to Gordon. A
5: friendly visit or the other kind? Uh-huh. I'm beginning to see how you know so much about this island. Well, never question, never learn. Remember that, Summy. this way, we'll off to starboard. Yes, sir.
3: Never question, never learn. Look, I'm an insurance investigator. A company sent me down here to look things over, including Gordon. Something wrong? I don't know yet. What do you know about
5: him? There, jugful, sonny, jugful. Stood into the harbour about two months back. No sooner dropped his hook than his crew started taking the pierhead leap. Everybody jumped for the boatswain for reasons of his own. What was the matter with Gordon? He was off seas over all the time. And you navigate with sextant, a compass and parallel ruler, sonny, not with a double shot and a water chaser. Get the drift? They were afraid to sail with him? Oh, that's the line of it. If you'd ever pile into a reef, you feel the same. Oh, yeah, here we are. Oh, there's my dinghy down at the bottom of the ladder. Yeah, there's Gordon's yacht out there, you see? The tug is passing astern of her now. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of boat. Yeah, she carries a suit of sail like a grind clipper. Oh, why don't you see her close up? (laughs) She's dirty as a garbage scow. All right, give her a hand now, sonny. We're close enough. Hey, anybody aboard? aboard the yacht.
3: Anyone home? Yes? What do you want? If the ship was dirty, I didn't notice. It may have had good lines, too, but it couldn't have touched what stood still at the rail, wearing clam diggers, an off-the-shoulder T-shirt, and a Caribbean tan. There's a trimmo for you. That'll be his wife. Can I come aboard?
6: Who are you? What do you want? I'm
3: Johnny Dollar from Hartford. I
5: want to talk to Ralph.
6: Oh. Why yes, then. I guess you'll have to come aboard.
5: Yeah, I'll swing the stern of the ladder. There you be. We're well, steady now. Okay, Cap, you wait for me,
6: huh? Well, how are things in Ralphie's old hometown?
3: Cool, but not as cool as this. Uh, this reception.
6: Don't let it throw you. What is this, a friendly drop-in, business, or just plain snooping? If it's the last I met Weena, the wife they haven't heard about at home.
3: Congratulations. Now I know why you like the way your shoulders bear. The better to keep a chip on it.
6: If you're through being sharp, I'll let you hear what's left of my husband. Come on, through here. Hey, Ralph! You got a visitor from Hartford. Get away from this cabin.
5: You gold digging little challenges? Huh? You, you take your
6: visitor, will you? Well, there you are, chum. He's got the door locked. It'll stay that way till he runs out of wine. You heard enough?
3: Yes, enough to know how you acquired your charming attitude.
6: Forget it. I walked into it with my eyes wide open. Let's get back out on deck. The light's better for throwing barbs at each other.
3: Sure. Sounds like fun.
6: Well... Do I have to help you off the boat?
3: Not until you help me by answering some questions. I'm an insurance investigator. I was sent down here by the company that holds a policy on your husband's life.
6: What should I do? Faint?
3: The story they got was that Ralph was dying from some kind of a voodoo curse. They don't believe it, and neither do I.
6: Why not? It might be true.
3: Hmm?
6: Oh, some old guy, they call him Papa Luau, came out to the boat. He yelled some things at Ralph, and when Ralphie threw a bottle at him, he swore he'd put a curse on him. Hey, how did they hear about it back in Hartford?
3: Ralph's brother, Dr. Thomas Gordon, told them. You know him?
6: Yeah, we hate each other. I wonder why he'd tell them.
3: Well, maybe because he thought somebody who'd be better off with Ralph dead was using Papaloa's curse as a cover up. How would you stand as his widow?
6: Get off this boat. Get off. What's the
5: trouble, Eddie?
6: Oh, Em. Yeah, come here, William.
5: Who's the boarding party?
6: Just get him off, Em.
5: Sure, honey. Well,
3: mate, do you walk in or dive? Save your strength for the last scene, Goliath. I was just leaving. Expense account item five, three dollars paid to Cap Reagan as water taxi fare. Item six, 80 cents, land taxi fare to Hotel Francois. And up at the heels hangout for not only the best in tourists, but also brother Thomas Gordon, M.D. Please make yourself comfortable. Could I offer you something? Nothing but some brotherly advice. Certainly.
0: I feel like a stupid fool for not being able to handle this thing myself.
3: So now that you're here, call on me for anything. First, have you seen Ralph? I tried to, but he locked himself in his cabin. Uh, Tell me, as a medical man, how do you digest this voodoo curse story? Why, it's ridiculous. Good heavens, this
0: is the 20th century. I do think that science doesn't know everything it would like to know. Voodoo, black magic... There are stories, supposedly true, but any victim would have to have a highly susceptible mind. And I know my brother, Mr. Dollar. His mind is susceptible only to his own whims and fancies. Then what's the matter with him? That's it, I don't know. He's drawn within himself and
3: seems to be searching almost insanely for escape through alcohol. Hasn't anybody thought of putting him on the wagon? It's a horrible idea, but it works. I don't think this is the time for it. He's suffering mentally and needs release. Well, that leaves us only one thing to think about, and no matter how thin you cut it, it's still voodoo. I'm a man of science, Mr. Dollar. I'd make hypocrisy out of all my knowledge and training
0: if I attacked the problem from that direction. But, uh, please let me know what you find.
3: Expense account item 7, $4, rental of horse and cart in which my walking tourist guide Cap Riggan and I jolted out of town in search of Papa Loire. Something made me feel like I was riding my last mile in a tumbrel en route to the guillotine. The moonlight was fighting a losing battle against an army of storm clouds that was sweeping in. And then, to make it worse, I heard a drum.
5: Hear that, Sonny? Yeah, sort of a tired Gene Crooper. Means we're getting close to Papa's quarters. Is he the only one around here? Yep, none of the good Hogan's performs in his territory. <laughs> he's too mean. Oh, great. And that ain't no galley news, it's the truth. I tell you, there's lots of black magic, so called. It's nothing but tourist bait. But Papa, he's a genuine article. Let me tell you about one fella he loaded a curse onto. He was a of him before he got through with it... Cap, Cap,
3: please, you keep your mind on your driving, and I'll keep mine on pleasant
5: memories. Well, I ain't got no more driving to think about. What's the matter? That's the path over there by that gnarled old tree. From here on, you plot your own course. This is close enough for me. Me too. Say, wait
3: a minute. How do I know I can't put a curse on him, huh? I never tried.
5: Smooth silence, sonny.
3: The path led along the edge of a field of sugarcane, and on the other side of me was a solid wall of jungle. First, I smelled some feathers burning. Then I heard the chant. There was a door in the wall of jungle that led to a small clearing, and before the moon was smothered by another cloud, I saw a shack. Smoke curled out through an open door, and I could see the glow of a fire on the floor inside.
7: Hey, Papa! I want to talk to you. Who is come to the house of Pavlova? Well, my
3: name wouldn't mean anything to you, but... what I have to say will. Can I come in?
7: Entrez. What are these words of so great importance as you wish to interrupt Poplois? All I know about voodoo is that I don't believe it. Legba! Legba!
3: I've come to you because I haven't got any answers from anybody else i want to know what's
7: behind this so-called curse you put on ralph gordon you not believe you let me make you believe ralph gordon he died tonight in the wind and rain and for you i have magic now see my fire you will believe the smoke now believe
3: I couldn't see what he'd thrown onto the fire. He'd reached behind him for it. But when the smoke from it whirled around me, it seemed to grab my throat and squeeze. I stumbled back through the door. I hadn't believed in Voodoo when I'd come in. But going out, I wasn't so sure. (laughs)
2: return to the second act of yours truly Johnny Dollar in just a moment CBS invites you to hear one of the greatest ad-libbers in show business Groucho Marx this Wednesday night on most of these same CBS stations Groucho show You Bet Your Life finds the master throwing quips and questions at oddly assorted pairs of contestants and it's one of the funniest fastest merriest shows on the air be listening when Groucho Marx comes along this Wednesday on CBS <laughs> And now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: My throat burned. I staggered around in the heavy jungle air. And when I could breathe again, I gulped in enough to lift the Graf Zeppelin. When I got back into the shack, he was gone. He hadn't left much of what he'd smoked me out with, but he'd left enough. A few shreds of photographic film on the dirt floor, and film made of cellulose and nitrates not only takes pictures, it puts out nitric oxide and nitrogen dioxide when it's burned, a combination that would live up to the demands of any gas chamber. <laughs> We headed back to the yacht, and this time, I boarded without a
5: hail.
6: I'm telling you, Em, we can't go on with
5: this. Well, this time, you're having a change of heart.
6: Well, that's what happened.
5: I'm not so sure that makes any difference. Maybe you're in too deep to back out. How would you like it if I spilled the whole thing? Oh,
6: what difference does it make? It'd be better than landing in a Haitian prison with your motives showing.
5: Then get over, Angel. I'll be in my sack when you make up your mind. And how
3: wrong you can be.
5: See you later, honey.
6: What are you doing on this ship? Get off.
3: Oh, no. Not after that intriguing conversation I just heard.
6: How much did you hear?
3: If I added it to the gas assault, Papa Luau threw at me. It'd be enough to nail you and Loverboy here for conspiracy to commit murder.
6: I don't know what you're talking the about. The point
3: is, I know what you two were talking about.
6: Listen to me. You've got to believe me.
3: I don't have to betray me anyway.
6: I I admit that M and I... Well, I did get involved with him. It was because Ralph turned into another man after we were married.
3: This probably marks the first time in history that an icicle melted in Port-au-Prince.
6: Please, let me finish. When my marriage went to pieces, I had to do something or go crazy. To see Ralph drinking up all the champagne on the island was just more than I could take. I was going to divorce him and leave with M, but but we weren't going to murder him.
3: You know, chapter one has so many holes in it, it could have been printed by a punch press. You don't worry about landing in prison with your motive showing when all you're planning is is divorce.
6: You do when people are waiting for your husband to die under mysterious circumstances. That's why I was trying to make M go away. If Ralph died, who would look any farther than the erring wife? Unless M was hiding (coughs) something.
3: Can you lock this cabin from the outside?
6: Yes. What are you going to do? You aren't going to lock me in here.
3: No, just your playmate. You're coming with me. Where? To Papa Lois. I want to hear what kind of a story you tell in front of him.
6: Hey, you You don't believe me.
3: No. With 150,000 at stake, I don't even believe myself. <laughs> There's a shack. You go in first. It may not be heroic, but it's the best way I can think of to catch his reaction when he sees you. Come on, go ahead. Go on in.
7: Who is it come to door. Who are you, woman?
6: Well, Mr. Dollar, are you satisfied?
7: Not quite. And you did not believe. Why you are here? You wish again to see the power of my smoke?
3: Let's just drop the act, Papa. I know what you threw in the fire.
7: Was my book or smoke? You not yet believed?
3: A good man from a police laboratory can sift enough out of those ashes to know it was filmed.
7: What is this you say?
3: I say that I've got enough on you, you old fake, to put you in the local pokey.
7: Who dare speak thus to, Papa Lua?
3: And that's where you're going to go if you don't cooperate. Now that's a promise.
7: What is it you
3: want? Did somebody put you up to this curse business that Ralph Gordon is supposed to be under?
7: A man of your race. Now go. That is all. It's
3: not enough. What was his name? I not know the name. What did he look like then? My eyes were closed. Ah, nuts. Come on. I'm taking you into town if I have to
7: drag you by the hair. No, no, don't touch me. I will tell you how this is. It is true. I do not know the name or the face. He come to me. He ask me when comes next rain and wind. I tell him last night. But is tonight. This storm come with deceit. He tell me he needs storm to close portals in the ship. He say, if I bring this curse, I will be best to go on 80 because it kill what man? That is difficult. That is all. Now you go. How about the film for the fire? Did he give it to you? That is true. Not long before you come.
3: Well, get rid of it, Papa, before you lose your license to operate.
7: You go now. Pablo, we'll be alone. Go now. All
3: right, Mrs. Gordon. All right. Let's not stay for the music.
6: Could you make head or tail of what he said?
3: What goes into your husband's cabin?
6: Nothing but food and wine. Mostly wine.
3: Who fixes his meals?
6: I do. Our cook Yeah.
3: Where does the wine come from? You said it was champagne, didn't you?
6: Yes. It always comes from the same place, a liquor shop in town, a case at a time. Nothing makes any sense. What are you going to do?
3: All I can do. Try every angle. That's not all I'm going to try in that liquor shop. Expense account item 8, 450, two quarts of rum, the purchase of which helped loosen the tongue of the proprietor who had been supplying Ralph Gordon's champagne. And the words that poured out weren't exactly intoxicating, but they sent me staggering to the nearest phone. Yes, hello. Dr. Gordon, this is Dollar.
0: Good heavens, Dollar, I've been wondering about you. What have you learned?
3: Well, first tell me this. What would happen to a man if he was in a ship's cabin on a stormy night... with all the portholes closed... and there was a lot of dry ice in there with him? What? What was that? A small room, no ventilation, a lot of dry ice. A lush may be passed out. What would happen?
0: Good Lord. Dry ice is solidified carbon dioxide. If enough of it evaporated into the room...
3: A lush would not be bothered by a hangover the next morning... because he wouldn't wake up, right?
0: Exactly. The gas, although not toxic would force the oxygen from the atmosphere and the result would be asphyxia. What are you getting at, Dollar?
3: Well, that curse your brother is suffering from is very scientific. The champagne he's been getting has been chilled by dry ice, about five pounds per case. One went out just before the storm broke. Good Lord.
0: Uh, it may be just coincidence, but Ralph's wife and
3: that bosun... Yeah, I know. For a bosun, he'd make a very good chemist. They sent for a pull motor. If it's too late for your brother, maybe I can use it.
5: I hey, Cap, 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 come on, come on, will you? over of Sonny. around, George, for my shipmate and me. <laughs> this is rum weather, Sonny. Never mind around, Cap. <laughs> you got to roll me out of that yard again. What? In this weather, I wouldn't ask old Neptune himself to set out on a night like this. Come on, come
3: on, Cap. I'm in a hurry. Here, here's 20 bucks.
5: I one time off the horn... Oh, what did you say? <laughs>
3: I didn't think it could rain any harder than it had been, but it did. Visibility was zero. But about twenty minutes out, Cap spotted a riding light.
5: There she lies, sonny.
3: We were on target, but so was somebody else. A searchlight stabbed out at us.
5: Hey, this sounds like prohibition days. Who's giving us the broadside? I can't tell. I'll lay a pelican hook over his head if I get my hands on him. Oh, Cap! Uh, I got my left leg. Get down the bottom, Cap. I'm going over the side.
3: There was nothing to do but swim, so I swam. I tried to remember how many shots had been fired, and that's where I made my mistake. There was a lull in the shooting, which I took to mean that the gun was empty, so I thrashed my way to the ladder. But when I got there, the first thing I saw after I'd shaken the water out of my eyes was the muzzle of a rifle. The face looking down the barrel at me belonged to brother Thomas Gordon, M.D.,
0: Sorry, Dollar. Killing you wasn't in my plan. But now it'll have to be done.
3: I was waiting for a bullet to come my way, but instead the doctor did.
5: Are you all right, Dollar?
3: I'll thank you later for spoiling his aim.
5: Forget it. That's me, big hearted M.
3: Say, get a boat hook on the doctor. He's our prize fish. Don't let him get away. I grabbed a fire axe out of its case on my way to Ralph Gordon's cabin. If it needed ventilating, I knew one quick way to do it. I didn't check for oxygen. I took a deep breath, held it, and went in. The cabin was littered with wine bottles, and in one corner, in an open case, was the dry ice that was in the process of cooling Gordon off for good. He was stretched out on his bunk. I hefted him to my shoulder and used the last of my breath getting him out of there.
8: What's the matter with him?
3: Come on, help me to get him stretched out. Come on, give me a hand, will you? Yeah. Maybe we can save a policyholder.
5: All right. One, two, three, four.
7: One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four.
3: Expense account item nine, thirty dollars. Cover charge at a hospital where I put the revived Gordon under the care of a doctor, not his brother. His brother happened to be resting in a jail cell at the time, waiting the formal charge of attempted murder. Motive, the family fortune. Item 10, same as item 9. Same hospital, where they patched up Cap Regan. Item 11, $40. An ounce of voodoo perfume for the lovely but sometimes chilly Edwina. Maybe if she tries that kind of magic on her husband you'll spend less time with the bottle joy and more with her kind an expense account item 12 148 dollars and 70 cents return trip to hartford expense account total 424 dollars and 70 cents yours truly johnny Dollar.
2: Truly, Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd and David Ellis with music composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Edmund O'Brien may soon be seen in the Columbia picture 7-Eleven Ocean Drive. Featured in tonight's cast were Earl Lee, Willard Waterman, Ted DiCorsia, Charlotte Lawrence, Lou Krugman, Byron Kane, Dick Ryan, and Clayton Post. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. Join us next week at this same time when, from Hollywood, Edmund O'Brien returns in another transcribed adventure of... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
9: There'll be a bright new show on CBS this Wednesday night. It's called the ABCs of music. And the star is Robert Q. Lewis with Ralph Flanagan's orchestra. You'll find Robert Q. and Ralph Flanagan taking over while Bing Crosby is on vacation. So join them on most of these same CBS stations this Wednesday for the ABCs of music. Beginning next week, yours truly, Johnny Dollar, will be heard at this same time on Thursday nights. Thursday nights for Johnny Dollar. This is CBS, where you hear suspense every Thursday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as...
2: Johnny Dollar.
10: Hank Lason at Intercommercial, Johnny. Say, did you ever hear the Collegio Diamond?
11: Doesn't strike a chord.
10: Worth about 200000 on the open market.
11: It's
3: insured and it's been stolen, right?
10: Well, can't say definitely that it's been stolen, but it's gone. The owner's name was Benson, lived here in Hartford.
3: Why the past tense?
10: They found him last night in his study. Murdered.
2: Edmund O'Brien, in another transcribed adventure of the man with the action packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs>
3: Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Intercommercial Insurance Companies of America, Home Offices, Hartford, Connecticut. Attention, Henry Lason. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during investigation of the Collegio Diamond matter. Expense account item one, $1.20 taxi fare to the western part of town where the better homes are situated. Mr. Charles Benson's home was back from the street and encircled with a high, well-trimmed hedge. The black wreath was already on the door. A young lady, very pretty in a black dress, received me in the study.
12: You're Mr. Dollar? That's right. Mr. Lason phoned and said you were on your way.
3: I hate about you a matter like this right now. Uh, Miss Benson, is it?
12: Yes. It's quite all right. Maybe if I go over it all again, it'll help me realize that it's happened. But Dad's gone. It's still like a bad dream. The beginning was when Dad bought the collegial diamond. When was that? About three years ago in Italy. He bought it from a diamond trader who'd just come into Florence from South Africa.
3: Your father had interest there?
12: No. He was just a tourist. He'd heard about this diamond from a friend of his, a collector. He knew the diamond had belonged to a minor official to the Medici, a man named Collegio. It was given to him in return for a favor. Since then, it's passed from hand to hand until Dad bought it. What
3: did he pay for it, do you know?
12: About 200000 Or the Italian equivalent at that time, in lira. But... Mr. Dollar, the diamond has a strange history.
3: Now, don't tell me there's a curse on it. No,
12: nothing like that. But I guess it amounts to the same thing. Everyone who's owned the diamond has died with it in his possession. Died violently.
3: There's nothing particularly mysterious about that. Anything worth as much as that piece of glass is worth killing for. Say, uh, who's living with you here now?
12: My mother. Just the two of us. You have no idea how hard it's been for her, Mr. Dollar. She's hardly been out of her room since since Dad died.
3: Can you tell me about last night, Miss Benson?
12: Well, I was out with Bob, might you say. We were out till about three. Dad was home alone. He had a habit of reading very late. In this room, as a matter of fact, the light in the study was on when we came in. The only light on in the house. Bob and I went in. Dad's back was to the door. Please go on. He was slumped over in his chair facing the window. His book had dropped to the floor. The wall safe was wide open, and on the desk was the velvet lined box the diamond was kept in. The diamond was gone. Dad had a bullet hole in his temple.
3: I see. He kept the diamond right on these premises?
12: Always. Oh, we, we warned him time after time not to. We told him to keep it in his safety deposit box at the bank, but he refused. Always oh, said that a diamond wasn't worth having unless you kept it in your possession and enjoyed it.
3: Who knew about the diamond, Miss Benson?
12: Oh, so many people. Family, of course. Myself, Bob. The papers were filled with the news when Dad came back with it from Italy.
3: Well, I mean, who knew where it was? Who knew the combination of the safe?
12: Nobody but Dad. And, of course, Mother. Oh, yes, and Mr. Corrigan.
3: Who's Mr. Corrigan?
12: Dad's lawyer. Dad kept the will in there and a few other papers that Mr. Corrigan would come and get every once in a while.
3: Well, Corrigan came into the house and got papers out of your dad's safe any time he wanted to?
12: Any time he wanted to.
3: I think I'd better talk to Mr. Corrigan before I go any further.
12: Now, Mr. Dollar, Mr. Corrigan wouldn't have stopped... Probably
3: not, we'd better have a talk just the same. I'd like to have his address, please. Spence account item two, 80 cents taxi fare to Main Street. Where Mr. Corrigan's office was located. An elevator ride and a walk down a Marvel Hall took me to the frosted glass door on which was printed Corrigan and Bishop, attorneys at law. I talked myself past a receptionist and the secretary and wound up refusing a cigar from Corrigan himself. You're in the insurance business? The investigation, end. I understand you were Mr. Benson's lawyer. That's right. Mr. Benson had the utmost... Oh, excuse me. Yes, no, uh, Vermont maple. Well, 45000 is way too much. Yes, in board feet. Have them ship it from Montpelier, if that's the case. Well, have them try to get it down then. Yeah. Yes, Mr. Dollar, Mr. Benson and I were associated for about 15 years in one way or another. We went to school together. It was a terrible shock to learn of it. Excuse
8: me. Who? Oh, put him on.
3: Harry, what's with Chicago? No, no, same thing. No, she's in Arizona, arthritis. Well, a little better. You know how it is. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. And mine of Danny. Okay, you bet, Harry. Yeah, you bet. Sure. Bye. Now, uh, you're here about the diamond or about the life insurance policy? The diamond. Well, diamond is a very rare item. Whoever got into the safe knew the combination. I understand there weren't many who knew the combination. Well, that's true. Mr. and Mrs. Benson myself were the only ones. I suppose I'm the prime suspect. But, of course, these safe crackers, they use a stethoscope these days. <laughs> you probably know more about that than I do. Oh, excuse me. Mm. Oh? Oh, yes, put him on. Yes, Jay's. Oh, it is? Oh, swell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? Yeah, very young man. 45. Oh, yes. Terribly upset. Well, yes, she's due here at about, well, any minute now. We're going to make the arrangements. Oh, I wouldn't let her go near the place, no. Well, I certainly tell her. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. You bet. You bet. Yeah, bye. Well, exactly what did you want to know, Mr. Dollar? Anything that would help us locate the diamond. Well, have you talked to the police? No, I thought I'd amble around among the persons involved first. Well, as I say, you probably know more about that than I do. I, I wish there was something I could say, but the last time I saw George Benson was about two weeks ago. You think this was an outside, job? Well, that's my opinion, but sheer speculation. Excuse oh, me. Oh, she is? Well, send her in, please. I hope you won't mind, Mr. Dollar. That's Mrs. Benson. I'm taking you down to the dressmakers. Oh, I see. Uh, why don't you go out that door? Fine. Oh, thanks, Mr. Carrigan. It's quite all right.
2: Anything else I can do, you'll let me know.
3: You bet. I didn't leave. I stood in the little outer room and sneaked a listen through the door. There was some reason why Mr. Carrigan had rushed me out one door while Mrs. Benson came in another one. I heard some things that made the whole case of the Collegio diamond a lot more interesting. I pushed the door open a crack.
13: Darling. Oh, Stan.
3: <laughs> you look lovely in black.
13: I'm going out of my mind. All those people calling, having to act unhappy. Well,
3: this is your opportunity to be a real actress. I'm awful at tears. <laughs> You're beautiful.
13: Dan, what if somebody should see us? Well, let
3: them. Let them see us. What do I care? We're as free as birds. There's a little place down in Bermuda, a resort... I got a folder the other day. Beautiful place to have.
10: You won't believe
3: how beautiful. And as soon as it's proper... What about Kitty? Well, I told her before I left that I wanted a divorce. I told her and she knows it. That's why she went to Arizona. Get away to think things over. I didn't want to hurt her, but I wanted her to know.
13: (laughs) Darling, I can't believe it. (laughs) It's too good to be true. But we've got to be careful. Very careful.
3: Let's go. We'll be late. Darling... I love you. On that somewhat touching note, I quietly closed the office door, turned toward the door that would lead me out into the corridor, put my foot to a rough edge of carpet, and promptly fell flat on my face. This brought Carrigan running. I thought you were gone, Mr. Dollar. Uh, I thought so, too. Do you consider it quite ethical listening at keyholes? Didn't you know... Investigation is just a very polite word for snooping, Mr. Corrigan. Who is
8: it,
13: Sam?
3: He's an insurance investigator. You heard everything? Not everything, Mrs. Benson. Just enough to tell me that black is not your color.
13: No, it isn't. I loathe black.
3: Ditto your husband.
13: I tolerated my husband, Mr. Dollar.
3: You don't have to explain anything to him, darling. He's just an insurance man. The police might be interested to know about this little relationship. There are a number of angles here... Could be that you and Mrs. Benson killed Mr. Benson and removed the diamond to make the whole thing look like robbery. Yes, Mr. Dollar, it could be. I welcome any police investigation. Fine, I'll go right over. Uh, wait. I don't think right now would be quite the opportune time. Guilty or not guilty, I have a reputation. In the light of that corny love scene you two just played, I can't imagine why. Mr. Dan. Dollar. Sorry. Well, what do we do? All stand around embarrassed? Let's have it. Why did I get the Rush Act out of your office? Well, that's simple, Mr. Dollar. I was afraid that Diane would give away our relationship.
13: He's right. I'm not a very good actress.
3: When did this thing start? Must you know everything? I think so. About seven years ago. The wool you were pulling over Benson's eyes must be pretty worn by now. We did nothing to be ashamed
13: of. I resent this. I resent the whole thing. I don't think I want to tell you anything more, Mr. Dollar.
3: I don't blame you. And you know, it's all kind of dull anyway. I'll go to the police. They'll probably have something much more interesting. Don't worry, Corrigan, I'm not going to breathe a word of this unless I feel it necessary. But I never made it to police headquarters. I got out in the street when a very large, very quiet man in a brown and white sport shirt stopped me. Mr. Dahl? Yes? Yeah? you
8: like some information?
3: About what? The Fifth, the Tropical. I never play the
8: ponies. These ponies you play.
3: Hop in. Thanks. No. Oh, come on. Hop in. Is that dangerous? That steel thing in your pocket?
8: How very discerning of you to recognize the outline. Inside. Right. Okay, bunny. Relax, dollar. Where are we going? You're going to sleep. <laughs>
3: I awoke with a groan in my own apartment Nobody was there, but nobody As soon as I could focus my eyes, I tried to lift myself off the floor After five tries, I managed to turn my head What I saw made me want to go back to sleep again The place was a mess There wasn't one inch that hadn't been gone over with what must have been a tractor Every drawer in the place had been turned upside down The problem was reaching the phone. It was all of 10 feet away, but it might have been 10 miles. I started to crawl. About halfway to it, I grabbed hold of the cord. I pulled the phone toward me until I got my hands on the receiver.
7: Hello?
10: Hello, Johnny? Hello?
3: Hello? Johnny? Yeah, Johnny.
10: Johnny, you sound awful.
3: Yeah, I can understand it.
10: Well, what'd you find out about the Collegio diamond? You were right. About what? It's gone. Well, that's brilliant. Who took it? I don't know. Well, what are you doing to find out?
3: Right now, I'm just lying around. Somebody gave me a tumble.
10: Say, are you drunk?
3: you better send a doctor. I think I'm going to pass out again. Johnny. Johnny. Hello. Johnny. Johnny. I can't talk to you now.
10: I'm not on the phone. I'm
3: here. Huh? Oh. You look funny with foreheads. Well, I might as well put this phone up. Oh, come on, come
10: on. Stop that nonsense. Now, look, I hate to bother you with business, but what happened to you?
3: I'll oh, tell it all to the police. You think
10: I want the police
3: in on this? Well, why keep them out?
10: Publicity for the company. I want the public to think Intercommercial is able to take care of itself. Now, come on. What happened?
3: Somebody asked me for a ride. I mean, asked me if I wanted a ride. Then they gave it to me. Well, it looks like they were looking for something.
10: Did you have something they might be looking for?
3: If I had something they were looking for, I wouldn't know it. But they must have thought I had something they were... Wa- Look, I'm going round and round already. Ask me no questions. Have you
10: got any idea what it might be they were looking for?
3: Maybe the diamond. Yeah, see, maybe the diamond.
10: See, that's right, that could be.
3: Now go away.
10: Well, we'll take you off the case and put someone else on, so you can have a nice rest.
3: Oh, uh No, you don't. Well, I thought that would pep you up. Yeah, money always does. Now get out of here and let me fasten my head back on.
10: Do you want something?
3: Yeah. Get me an aspirin. Hello?
12: Mr. Dollar? Yeah? This is Betty. Betty Benson.
3: Oh, yeah, sure. How
12: are you? Mr. Dollar, the police have just been here.
3: What happened?
12: They found the gun that killed Dad.
3: Oh, well, good. Where was it?
9: In my purse. We will return to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. For an hour of rapid-fire entertainment, the show goes on It's the show for you these Friday nights on most of these same CBS stations. It's an intimate glimpse into a fascinating angle of backstage life. A series of honest-to-goodness auditions for jobs in theater, nightclubs, and radio. The singers and comedians you hear are face-to-face with managers, agents, and bookers ready to hire them on the spot, take an option, or turn thumbs down. Be sure to hear The Show Goes On and its latest act this Friday night. Now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: Expense account item three: taxi fare again. $1.30 to the Hartford City jail, where an old buddy of mine by the name of Lieutenant Parnell was quizzing Miss Benson with the nastiest bunch of leading questions I've ever heard.
9: Now, why did you kill your father, Miss Benson? Oh, come on, come on. We'll make it much easier for you. Hey, if Hey, hey, get... hey, Parnell.
3: Come on, give her a break. Oh, the insurance man. I wondered when you'd be over. Hey, what happened to your head? When I find out, I'll let you know. Don't let him talk you into a thing, Betty. Get a good lawyer. Well, for one thing, Corrigan is on his way over. For another, the best lawyer in the world couldn't do her any good. The gun had her prints all over it.
12: Would I put a murder weapon in my purse with my fingerprints on it, Lieutenant? Now, would I?
3: If you didn't have time to get rid of the gun, why not? You're getting woozy, Lieutenant. Why don't you take a break? They've got the Giants game on the radio out there. Why not go out and see how they're doing? No, no. I might miss something, Dollar. Yeah, maybe you can do better with it than I can. I'll just sit down over here and listen. All right, now, how's that? Fine. Okay, now, Betty. How did the gun get into your purse?
12: I don't know, Mr. Dollar. The lieutenant was searching through my room and found this purse. And there it was. But I didn't carry that purse the night Dad was killed. I haven't used that purse in a long time. Somebody put the gun in there.
3: Can you prove it?
12: Well, no.
3: Nobody saw you that evening, huh?
12: Nobody but Bob.
3: Bob, your boyfriend, huh? All right, now I've got the necessary papers. You leave her alone. Dollar, what are you doing here? I just came over to add to the confusion.
11: Betty, Betty, are you all right? Hello, darling, I'm all right.
3: Looks like Grand Central Station. Come on, Betty. We'll have you out of here in jig time.
12: This is Bob Gorman, my fiancé, Mr. Dollar and Lieutenant Parnell. Hello. Oh, no, no, How
3: yeah. yeah, that was nice. Like a Washington hostess. Now,
9: let's try to wind this thing up.
3: Mr. Corrigan, were you anywhere in the vicinity of the
8: Benson home the night Mr. Benson was murdered? Absolutely not.
11: Oh, yes, you were. You were visiting Betty's
8: mother. That's a deliberate lie. I was nowhere near... I don't know why I'm submitting to
3: intimidation from you, Gorman... Seems to be a little difference of opinion here, Lieutenant. Mm hmm. You were quite a comfort to Mrs. Benson during the period of her bereavement, weren't you, Colligan?
11: I refused to answer
3: on the grounds that it might incriminate
11: me. You're darn right it would incriminate you. The way you've been carrying on with Mrs. Benson, everybody knows about Bob. it. No, I'm going to get it off my chest. Betty's father was no sooner dead than he was hustling Mrs. Benson this place and that. Why, point. you young. Uh, 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 uh. Temper,
3: temper, Mr. Colligan i would save that for the jury. He can't make accusations like that.
12: They aren't just accusations, Mr. Cargan. They're true. Nobody had a better reason to kill Dad than you did.
3: Love, huh? Say, anybody in this room happen to know where the Colegio Diamond is? No. no. Huh. I didn't think so. It but if you'd like Carr, to know, I, know idea well that... I just wanted to say goodbye. Okay, now go ahead. If you'd like party, to know, you know why, I I wait, no,
1: wait,
3: Expense account item four, $12.20 miscellaneous taxi fares all over the place. I went on a little visit to Corrigan's apartment and found something of interest. A little clip of paper on which was written in the highest form of legal language, of course. I owe you $2,000, George Benson. I worked my way into Bob Gorman's apartment. There, I found a bill from the Garant Detective Agency. Then to police headquarters again, where I found a picture of a man who was tall and thin and had a little, well-trimmed mustache. Then I went home, where I found... A man who was tall, thin, and had a little, well-trimmed mustache. He was drinking my bourbon. You're drinking my bourbon. It's
8: lousy bourbon.
3: Look what you did to my head.
8: An improvement.
3: All right, what do you want? The diamond. What else? I don't have it. I don't believe
8: it. Well, search the place. I already did. Well, I guess that does it. I'll see you later. Don't go. Out of the way. I said don't go. You, You crazy...
3: Okay. Drop the gun, man. Now, sit down and finish your drink. I
8: didn't come here alone. If I'm not downstairs in three minutes, you'll come up. The more the
3: merrier. Who do you work for?
8: Myself.
3: That's right, friend. I want all the excuse I can get to beat the pulp out of you.
8: Go on. Now, now, cut it. Who do you work for? Corrigan. What's the deal? He wanted me to get the gun. So you planted it in Betty's purse. I didn't. And I didn't kill Benson either. I went to get the gun, but it was gone. And I thought you had it, but you didn't have it.
3: So you were working for Corrigan? Yeah. Okay. Now let's start all over again. <laughs> Who do you work for? I told you, Corrigan. This isn't going to be much fun for you, friend. Now listen,
8: lay off of me. I'm telling you the truth. I tell you the truth and you keep on hitting me. Now that ain't fair. Who do you work oh, okay. for? Oh, okay, okay. Mrs. Spence. What's the deal? She hired me to get the diamond. Why? She killed her husband so she'd get away with Corgan. She wanted me to break in and get the diamonds so it'd look like robbery, see? Robbery and murder, see? Here we go again. <laughs> Will you leave me be? I can keep this up all night if I have to. Why don't you tell me who you think I work for, then, instead of beating up on
3: me? I want to hear it from you. Look, chum, since you knocked me on the head, I get spells of bad temper. All right.
8: All right. I guarantee take to be.
3: Now we're getting someplace, baby.
8: How did you know my name?
3: Well, it's a byword in every precinct police station from here to Ishpeming. You were hired by Bob Gorman.
8: I was hired by Bob Gorman. You killed Benson. I don't know who killed Benson. What were you hired for? To get the diamond. Bob's got it in his apartment. Do I start working on you then? No, 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 no. Don't, don't act so tough now. now. who's
3: got the diamond? Corrigan.
8: Well, look, if you've got all the answers, what are you asking me for? Vic,
3: my boy, I'm amazed. I've seen liars in my time, but I've never run across anything like you. How can you do it with such a straight face, huh?
8: Here's a practice.
3: Now I'll tell you the truth as you see it. Don't you hit me no more now. Bob Gorman hired you. That's the truth, all right. And he hired you to get the diamond. But you didn't find the diamond there. You found Benson dead.
8: I walked in there. I'm telling you, I was never more surprised in my life. There was Benson in that chair. I hired out to do a lot of things. But murder, that's not for me. There ain't money enough in the world to make me commit murder. Slugging,
3: you do. Mm -hmm.
8: For good money?
3: Dick, I'm not interested in who killed Benson. Personally, I don't think you know. I want to know where the diamond How
8: is. How do I know where the diamond is? It was gone when I got there. I thought you had it. That's why I slugged you. Period.
3: All right, Dick. I'm tired. I got a splitting headache. Finish your drink and get out of here.
8: Uh, no, thanks. It really is lousy Bird. <laughs> Things
3: were as dark as ever. Vic was no help. I knew Bob hired him, but that was all I knew. The next stop seemed to me to be Bob himself. I called him and told him to come over. He was very accommodating. A half hour later, he was tapping gently at my door.
11: Hello, Mr. Dollar. Come
3: on in. Don't mind the dirty glass on the table there. I just got through entertaining one of your employees. One of my employees? I believe he said his name was Vic. Vic Hastings. I never heard of him. Come on, Bob. You can be yourself with me. Vic talked to me like a brother. I never heard of him. You may not be conscious of it, Bob, but you're in plenty of trouble. The police are looking for the diamond, and they're sure whoever has the diamond killed Mr. Benson. I'm just an insurance investigator. I
11: have nothing to do with the police department. All right, Mr. Dollar, I did hire Vic Hastings. I sent him after the diamond. You thought I had it? Yes. When he found out you didn't, he came back and threatened me. He wanted money. I didn't have any, but I told him I'd give him a cut when I got it. Is this a regular business of yours, stealing diamonds? Look, Mr. Dollar, I didn't kill Mr. Benson. I didn't ask you that. I asked you about the diamond. I heard about the diamond when Mr. Benson bought it. I had to have it. I I wasn't going to sell it, not then. I just wanted it. I crashed a party at the Benson house about four or five months ago. I met Betty, and I started to date her. That's as good a way as any. Well, you've got it wrong, Mr. Dollar. Sure, I wanted to get at the diamond. That's That's why I started taking Betty out. But things are different. I love her. We want to get married.
3: Very sweet. Only you didn't hire Vic to get the diamond four or five months ago, Gorman. So get that pleading look out of your eyes. You don't
11: do a thing to me. You're not going to the police. Put it down, Gorman. Stay where you are. Don't try to follow me or I'll blow your head off. So long, darling.
4: Arnell speaking.
3: This is Dollar, Lieutenant. Better send out a code one on Bob Gorman.
5: What do you want it for?
3: Well, you can call it suspicion of murder. Expense account item 5, 120, taxi fare to the Benson home. I found Mrs. Benson in a sad state upstairs due to her husband's death and her daughter's incarceration.
13: Why must you pester me about a thing like this now, Mr. Dollar? Haven't you any consideration? Sorry,
3: Mrs. Benson, but it's a job sooner we get over this hurdle, the better off we are. Now, I know all about your relationship with Sarah.
13: All of that has nothing to do with the case.
3: Well, perhaps not. I know
13: who killed my husband, and I know why, and I know who has the diamonds. Who? I can't prove it. I couldn't take it into a court of law.
3: Well, let me worry about that. What's your idea, Mrs. Benson?
13: Bob Gorman.
3: Why do you think he did it?
13: He has a violent temper. He hated George. He hated him like poison. George never wanted him to marry Betty.
3: Sorry, that motive doesn't click with me. Now, let me tell you who killed your husband. You and Corrigan. How dare you? You wanted to get rid of him. You two were the only ones who knew the combination of the safe. You took the diamond and killed Benson. Why, you... And you planted a gun in Betty's purse. Do you
13: mean to suggest that I would try to make my own daughter out to be a murderer?
3: That's just what you hoped the police would think. That if anybody were framing your daughter, it wouldn't be you. You knew the police would clear Betty because she was nowhere near the house when the murder occurred. And you thought they'd assume that Bob Gorman planted the gun in Betty's purse. That's a lie. Come on, Mrs. Benson. It's all out in the open now. Stay where you are, Dollar Corrigan, I was expecting you. You're pretty good at this business of investigation, aren't you? It's a shame to have to end such a brilliant career. That's the way it goes. Here today, gone tomorrow. You aren't going to mess up Mrs. Benson's pretty bedroom, are you? Not at all. We'll just go out the back way. Open the door, Dollar. Glad to. After you! (gasps) He's all right, Mrs. Benson. Come on, get up, Corrigan. The lieutenant is waiting. In case you should ask, how did you know, Mr. Dollar, that Corrigan and Mrs. Benson killed George Benson? The answer I took a big guess. I told them my guess, and with the authority of an Illinois judge, they swallowed it and they confessed. To wind it all up, I might add the following They got Bob Gorman. He's being sent up along with Vic Hastings. His police record makes Vic's look like a bad report card, which means Betty is going to have to look for a new boyfriend. The insurance company has saved a good deal of money. Everybody bad goes to the penitentiary. Everybody good stays free, which proves that bluff is better than logic. This time, anyway. Expense account item six doctor bill and miscellany for my sore head amounting to $25. Expense account total. Sixty-five dollars and thirty-four cents. And that's pretty cheap. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role, is written by Gil Dowd and David Ellis, with music composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Edmund O'Brien can soon be seen in the Columbia Pictures production, 7-Eleven Ocean Drive. Featured in our cast this evening were Wally Mayer, Jane Webb, Bill Johnstone, Virginia Gregg, Stacey Harris, Bill Boucher, and Harry Bartell. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle.
1: Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Days your home for the best of golden age radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.